do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may be able to prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Romans 12:2. This is Resistance and Reformation on the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network. Caught between two worlds, the world of a frighteningly dark primordial barbarism and the world of a bright, hopeful Christian civilization, Dimphna Kaelrin was born the eldest daughter of the 7th century heathen Celtic prince Aedbur. When she was still just a child, her beloved Christian mother was claimed by the plague, and apparently stricken mad with grief, Aedbur conceived a perverted passion for his daughter. So in order to escape his incestuous intentions, she fled abroad with her chaplain, Garabernus, first to the newly Christianized port city of Antwerp, and then to the small village of Giel, about 25 miles away. There, she began to rebuild a life for herself. With the help of Gerbernus, she devoted herself to the care of the needy and the forlorn. She rescued dozens of orphaned children from a life of begging in the streets. She gave shelter to the lame, the mentally impaired, and the infirm. She fearlessly lobbied for justice for the poor, and she fought to expose the dark secrets of abortionists whose flourishing contraband was wrecking havoc among the peasantry. There, in the Flemish lowlands, abortion, infanticide, abandonment, and exposure were already beginning to fall out of favor as forms of family limitation. Medievalism was progressively making its mark. The gospel had permeated the culture just enough that the people had vaguely begun to recognize the fact that children are a heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is a reward from Him. As a result, many of the most insidious practices from antiquity were passing from the scene. Even so, when there were serious problems with a pregnancy or when handicapped children were born, in desperation, many families reverted to the old pagan practices. Dimpna boldly challenged this, arguing that if human life is sacred, then all human life must be protected. She sought to demonstrate that there is no such thing as an unwanted child. She said, All the starry hosts of heaven and of earth declare with one voice the glory bestowed on these sublime creatures of the living God. These creatures, made just a little lower than the angels, we can do no better than to acknowledge our acceptance of him by our acceptance of them. Indeed, she acknowledged her love of Christ by making her home a haven for the otherwise unwanted. In the span of just three years, her household grew to include more than 40 
disabled children, and another 20 mentally impaired adolescents and adults. Before long, she had gained a remarkable reputation for selflessness, graciousness, and charity. In the trying times of the early 8th century, those were rare and welcome virtues. Barbarian hordes still threatened the frontier, Norse raiders still terrorized the coastland, and petty feudal rivalries continued to paralyze the interior. After the fall of Rome in 476, Europe had lost its center of gravity and had become a spinning dreidel. Though Byzantium continued to flourish in the east, it was not until the slow but steady encroachment of medievalism covering the entire continent that any measure of peace or harmony could be secured. The medieval period has commonly been called the Dark Ages, as if the light of civilization had been unceremoniously snuffed out. It has similarly been dubbed the Middle Ages, as if it were a gaping parenthesis in mankind's long upward march to modernity. It was, in fact, though, anything but dark or middling. Perhaps our greatest fault has been that we have limited ourselves by a parochialism in time. It is difficult for us to attribute anything but backwardness to those epics and cultures that do not share our goals or aspirations. The medieval period was actually quite remarkable for its many advances, perhaps unparalleled in all of history. It was a true nascence, while the epic that followed was but a renaissance. It was a new and living thing that gave flower to a culture marked by energy and creativity from the monolithic security of Byzantium in the east to the reckless diversity of feuding fiefs in the west. It was a glorious crazy quilt of human fabrics, textures, and hues. Now, to be sure, the medieval world was racked with abject poverty, ravaging plagues, and petty wars— much like our own day, it was haunted by superstition, prejudice, and corruption, as is the modern era, and it was beset by consuming ambition, perverse sin, and damnable folly, again, so much like today. Still, it was free from the kind of crippling sophistication, insular ethnocentricity, and cosmopolitan provincialism that now shackles us. And so, it was able to uh, advance astonishingly. The titanic innovations medievalism brought forth were legion— it gave birth to all the great universities of the world, Oxford and Cambridge, Paris and Bologna. It brought forth the world's most celebrated artists. It gave us the splendor of Gothic architecture, unmatched and unmatchable to this day. It thrust out into the howling wilderness and storm-tossed seas the most accomplished explorers. 
that produced some of the greatest minds and the most fascinating lives mankind has yet known. Abelard and Aquinas, Bede and Bacon, Charlemagne and Chaucer, Dante and Abelard and Aquinas, Bede and Bacon, Charlemagne and Chaucer, Dante and Donatella, Grota and Giotto, and on and on and on. Were the list not so sterling, it might become a bit tedious. But of all the great innovations that medievalism wrought, the greatest was spiritual. Medieval culture, both East and West, was first and foremost Christian culture. Its life was shaped almost entirely by Christian concerns. Virtually all of its achievements were submitted to the cause of the gospel, from the great cathedrals and gracious chivalry to the long crusades and beautiful cloisters, every manifestation of its presence was somehow tied to its utter and complete obedience to Christ's kingdom. Dimpna's character offered tangible hope that these high aspirations of Christian civilization could be, and indeed would be, one day achieved. Thus, her work on behalf of the distressed was widely heralded, perhaps too widely. Edinburgh, upon hearing of his daughter's whereabouts, followed her to Giel. There was an awful confrontation. When she refused to return home with him, he flew into a rage and slew her. Amazingly, Dymphna's vision did not die with her that day. Stricken with sorrow, the citizens of Giel decided to continue her mission of mercy. Her medieval ethic took root in their lives and became their work, their calling. And that work and calling continues to the present day. It includes a hospital for the mentally ill, a foundling center, an adoption agency, and the world's largest and most efficient boarding out program for the afflicted and the disturbed, run as a private and decentralized association by the Christian families of Giel to this day. And therein is the beauty of both resistance and reformation. I'm George Grant on the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network. For more information and for resources, go to georgegrant.net.